0: From the second chapter of Matthew, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. The Good News of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God,
1: God of cool wind and roaring waters, author of creation, we give you thanks for this day, for this time and this space to gather together cross physical distance, to discern your word as it works alive in our midst. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, the story of Christ's birth is fascinating. And certainly the story itself is deeply important. But I've always found myself drawn to what everyone else is up to in the time before and after his birth. As the scene is set, we're introduced to a cast of major and minor characters, some of whom are clearly good, some of whom are clearly confused, and others whom we know are or soon will be bad. We're taken to a variety of locations with the central setting being that of a manger. I think we do a really great job at churches all around the world of illustrating this story every year in pageants and small study groups that meet during Advent and, of course, in our sermons and in our music, too. But there's a part of our story that I think is sometimes missed. It takes place after Jesus' birth, and it's serious. Because alongside the story of the Magi visiting Jesus, there is the plot by Herod the king of Judea, to kill the infant Jesus. Now, in the spirit of transparency, I think that it's important to note that this part of the story is only in Matthew's gospel. But it is there nonetheless. And so I think we need to engage with it. We need to discern what it might mean for our lives today. As Matthew tells it, Herod is so distraught by the apparent birth of Christ that he orders a group of wise men, or a magi, to find him and then report back as to the whereabouts of Christ. The Magi, a group of priests, set off from a distant land. They cross field and fountain, moor and mountain, following a star that earlier prophecy had said would guide them to the Messiah. Now it isn't a surprise that the Magi do find Jesus. Indeed, prophecy foretold this event. Upon finding him, they immediately present him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think that we can be honest in saying that we would not give any of those things to a newborn child. But I think that that that's precisely the point because Jesus Christ is not just any child. The presentation of those particular gifts are the signal that the Magi had seen the literal face of God on earth. What happens next though, is what I found most fascinating in the story as of late. After worshiping Christ, The Magi have a collective dream in which they receive a collective warning telling them not to return to Herod. They heed that warning and take a different route home. Herod, upon realizing the Magi aren't returning, orders the execution of every male child under the age of two in and around Bethlehem, hoping that. In this order, he will find and accomplish his goal of ending the life of Christ. There's a lot of debate as to whether this order was ever actually given, as it doesn't appear in any biography of Herod. At the same time, from those same biographies, we know that Herod did order the execution of three of his own children because of his fears about their power and their influence. So it isn't a stretch to see how Matthew's description of what occurred could be understood as a real event or as an analogy of an event by those persons and an audience who would have certainly known the cruelty of Herod and been aware of the nature of his reign. In either case, historians agree that if this event if this order, did take place, the population of newborn males in Bethlehem would have been so small that their deaths may have not been worth recording. I'll be honest with you. Whether the order is real or not makes no difference to me because we know enough about Herod's character to understand why the Magi had been warned not to return to him. When I read this story a few weeks ago, I couldn't help but think about the times in which we presently live. An authority figure has heard a rumor or potential about a potential threat or challenge to their potential and their position. And so that figure calls upon those who happen to know more than he in the hopes that they can figure out what the heck is going on. When they don't get the information that they are seeking, when they understand that the threat to their rule is still present, these figures react with rage and brutality. The oppressor becomes even more committed to oppressing. Beloveds, where have we seen this before? Where are we seeing this now? Figures who are used to deference and a form of respect that is rooted in fear, reacting with malice in the face of a challenge to their authority. As you chew on those questions, I want to circle back to the Magi. Because again, the reason for their choosing not to return to Herod lies in having received a warning in a dream to not return. We only get one verse about this. They get the warning, they go home a different way, and we never meet them again. Despite the brevity of those events, there's a lot to sit with. With Herod, where we see an oppressor doing oppressor things, the magi are an illustration of subversion. Not just any kind of subversion, to be sure. Indeed, they're an illustration of a relatively powerless people choosing to use what little power they do have to go against the orders and interests of empire. Again, I ask, where have we seen this before? Where are we seeing this now? Figures who are deeply aware of the threats and risks that they face, still doing what they can, still choosing to deny empire a victory. The magi are at once an illustration of subversion, but also a tool of announcement. Indeed, they proclaim the manifestation of God on earth as man. They announce the world of fulfillment of scripture. They point towards a future day when this world might be made anew. Beloveds, they foreshadow the entire story. They bring gold because it's a gift worthy of being given to a king. Frankincense because it is a key component of blessing ritual spaces. And they bring myrrh, an ingredient used at the time for embalming. Together, these gifts acknowledge the sovereignty, the divinity, and the eventual earthly death of Christ. They foreshadow the entire story. I wish Matthew had told us more. I wish the other authors of our gospel text had told us a bit about this story, too. I wish we knew how many magi there actually were. I wish we knew where they came from. I wish we knew their names. But alas, they have the same fate as all minor characters they are indeed integral to the plot we are left knowing very little about them and their own stories and that's disappointing because the magi are pulling a lot of weight in this story not just in the story of christ's birth but in the story of our faith the magi are connecting all of the dots they are expanding our imagination and understanding of what is possible in this world having said all of this I want to highlight the two things that I think the Magi do that are most important. They tell us that God is physically present among us on earth, and they quietly tell us that empires can be challenged, that empires will fall. As I started talking to all of you, I was saying a lot of this story was parallel to events happening around us today. Indeed, there are Herods in our midst, there are empires all around the world. These empires are nation states. They are massive corporations in the name of shareholder value, dominate the entire economies of entire nations, impoverishing their employees and the world around them. They are figures of great greed and opulence. Their ideologies like white supremacy, all of these things, they are run by leaders who are deeply aware of that which they do and yet continue to do it anyways. And a particularly unsettling development of Christianity is often tied to these leaders and their empires. And we should be careful and willing to guard against efforts that align Christ with those empires, whether they are political, ideological, economic, racial, or a mixture of all of the above. And challenging empire, the Magi make this part of the story clear. The world that we've got is not what it ought to be. And so the son of God comes into the world to show the way in which we might better live, to make the world anew, to deny empire victory. Might we all find the courage and the capacity of an unnamed character with a handful of lines who appears in but one part of a truly massive story, Might we find that courage, that capacity, that faith to discern those things which we must do to subvert empire and prepare the world for something new. Might we have the courage to follow through. Might we be magi in the modern era, fully convinced of who Christ is and ready and willing to share that news with the world and
0: challenge the empires in our midst. Amen.